Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks, episode 25, Dire Straits, Solid Rock. We welcome Garrett Fueling for a second time. He used to be uh, head of $200 million in sales, leading Asia in particular at Rockwood, uh, purchased by Albemarle. And uh, interspersed uh, among our Q&A with Garrett will be some commentary from the Albemarle Investor Day hosted in New York, which included Eric Norris, CFO Scott Tozier, and CEO Luke Kassam. We're going through the first major cycle in this industry since the dawn of EVs, and we believe price is headed to, on a spot basis towards the marginal cash cost of production, which are about $7, in the range of $7. And that producer is that producer I was talking about in China. Not $5. If you go back in time, it was lower. Why the difference? Well, the supply curve keeps changing, right? So the supply curve, uh, you saw it in 19. The, the marginal cash costs were lower. They're higher in 2025. The same thing is true if you take 19 and go back to 12, it was lower again still. It was largely a carbonate world, and the marginal cash cost producer was about anybody using rock, including Taliesin at the time. And that cost curve, we believe, will keep changing going forward. As more supply is required, and for the $225 billion worth of investment the automotive industry wants to make in this, it's going to be required. That cost curve is going to, the average cost is going to grow with time. I have just been in Shanghai, met some friends, and been told that for technical grade, industrial grade, for, so for lower grade uh, products, prices were even as low as 35,000 RMB, which is an equivalent of roughly 5,000. 5,000 these days, and um, that's certainly um, even posing a, an issue for, for Livent. Um, they are not, their marginal cost probably lower, but um, uh, under these circumstances, 5,000, that's uh, SQM and Albemarle can make a living, but if we add those two companies' product uh, or c capacities, you come up with uh, 40 plus 40, maximum 80,000 tons, and, and that's it, and that's not the market. So uh, the, the total market, that's the opinion of benchmark, is still, or this year, will be 350,000 uh, tons of LCEs, which is an increase of, I don't know, some 18%, I think he said, and next year it's growing uh, by 22%, so it's another 65,000. Given that, you have to take a separation between the technical grade, industrial grade markets and the, the battery grade market. So there is, um, in my opinion, uh, a balance or hardly enough material for real EV batteries. So if the company has a sound strategy and a strong pricing drive, uh, there is no need to renegotiate any prices no? in, the, in the EV area. If you reduce the price by Five percent. You need to produce 15, almost fifteen percent more, or sell fifteen percent more volume to keep the profit. So usually it's much better to, to keep a price, make no concessions, and and uh, and sacrifice 10, 15, 20 percent up to twenty percent of, of your volume. I do not believe that if uh, Albemarle Alive and all those guys who really sell into the uh, EV market. That, that they will lose 20%. I don't think so. And uh, it's it's a matter of, of pricing strategy. And, and 
and a firm, a firm management who is supporting this. In, in Rockwood, we had uh, Safi on top who was pushing for that and, and well aware of these uh, things. In Chemital, we, we had this uh, concept anyway, always. And um, I believe I have mentioned in one of my few posts that uh, there is a consultancy called Simon Kucher, and partners, uh, Professor Simon, he's a guy, he's a pricing man, if you, if you Google it, who basically developed these pricing theories. And he was a consultant since mid-80s to our company, no? always, to Chemital and, and Rockwood. So that's why we have a firm, firm policy there. So having said this, um, the issue at these days is that you have quite some inventory sitting there, maybe, I don't know how much, maybe six months people say, and to work through this uh, may take half a year, another half a year or eight months or nine months. And once it's worked out and uh, productions are down and to recatch this and then to get the, the right, the right uh, uh, quality back up then uh, in, in volume, then uh, prices will increase to, to where it has been because at seven dollars or eight dollars or nine dollars, no, nobody is going to invest any any single cent. Yeah, maybe some are continuing, like SQM or Albemarle. They are continuing the uh, the the expansion projects. They are currently uh, which are currently on the way. Uh, the same is the case with Live and and Olokobre. Because that's a work in progress, and you don't stop uh, in the middle of of a project. Um, so the question is how much uh, volume they will get out and the others uh, need to, to adjust them. Yeah, so the price of $7 is not sustainable. That is uh, for, for the non-integrated converters, it's not workable. And the question will be when do larger players, OEMs and battery guys, um, realize that they have to put money on the table to, to get these expansions done? No? I think it's hopefully this coming year. Um, a question, there's lots of questions, but yes, 7,000 is unsustainable, but you know, Joe Lowry is saying 12 to 14,000 is the new normal for battery grade carbonate. Daniel Jimenez it doesn't really talk about it in battery grade terms so much. He talks more in just LCE, because there's a lot of LCE units, but he's like nine to 11. Right or nine to ten is where he sees things eventually settling. You in prior conversations were were potentially even higher. You know, fourteen to sixteen thousand. Yeah, on the long run. So you have to if you if if you move if uh, people always publish these industry cost curves. No, they are directionally, as I said, yeah, more or less okay. Yeah? They usually people underestimate the cost, so their cost. Uh, uh, the cost evaluations are way too low. If you move the demand line to the right side, you, you will end up with, with people who have seven, eight, nine dollars cash cost. And uh, if you put on DNA and, and you need it, in our opinion, a 20% uh, EBIT margin, not EBITDA, but EBIT margin, uh, then you will be in, in the range of 12 to 14. And on the long run, if the cost, if the higher cost uh, people moving in, uh, we expect uh, even higher prices. That's towards uh, 2030. 
if you assume that the market is going to be twelve to 14,000, from the producer side, right, if you're, um, you have these, what's the margin and the profitability across the sector? Because, you know, Aura Cobra, if they're only able to sell technical grade, and then that needs to be washed, you know, or purified or, or whatever, um, you know, is that being purified? Uh, into battery quality that's then going into a Western OEM. Um, and therefore, the person who upgrades that is earning, you know, some margin. Uh, are they not? Is there just like this endless, you know, oversupply of, of lower quality material that depresses the technical grade price, you know, to seven, six thousand, you know, for forever? Right, you know, with uh, battery prices being higher, and then it's only those companies that can have the low-cost resources and produce the battery quality. What do you What do you think about that? Right, because ultimately we're interested in the profitability of the various companies across the sector, and in particular, like the junior companies. And um, not everyone's going to produce battery grade, you know, in, in any event. So a, a, a PFS that says you know the the battery grade is going to be twelve thousand or fourteen thousand. Well, any given asset, it's only going to produce you know maybe seventy five percent battery grade, which means their, their blended price is going to be lower. It, what, what do you think about? There's a lot of questions within that. If the that if the for example, if SQM would produce. Uh, Less battery grade, no battery grade, and increase their production to 60,000, 70,000 tons, and and keep this as a technical grade. And Aura Cobra does partly the same, and uh, and others in Argentina because it's it's not that easy to make battery grade over there. Um, if if you have uh, tech or uh, some lower grade, whatever this is, um, available and can and and you you consider this to purify for uh, for to to, uh, to to, to purify it into um, a battery grade material and the prices of these guys stay at seven then you can as a as a as an intermediate so as a converter for example in China um, maybe reinvest in your in, in facility and or even as a, as a cathode producer buy this material purified by yourself it's, it's a recrystallization step which adds uh, a bit of cost, and then use this instead of spotting. Yeah, but this is the the capacity for this is limited. So uh, Argentina, uh, Chile, for technical reasons, geological reasons, and so on, can maximum produce uh, if if uh, SQM at all gets up to 180,000 uh, tons, which probably as long as they don't have a, a lease agreement. With Corfo, which ends in 2030, they're not going to they're not going to put uh, these 180,000 tons in work because they can't depreciate this amount of money. And uh, the the scenario could be that Corfo is denying them a, 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 a contract extension, and then uh, you are losing all this money. So it's a bit of a risk. So they they won't do this, in my opinion. And Albemarle can do maximum, they say 80,000 tons. I don't believe this, but it is 240,000 tons ex. Chile, and then you have uh, a couple of uh, uh, volumes coming out, uh, Argentina, sooner or later. 
and um, yeah, all the the others have to rely on on spotomine. Yeah, so uh, those those uh, let's assume two hundred thousand. So you could maybe make uh, four hundred thousand tons or something, or five hundred thousand tons at uh, technical grade and convert this at uh, and get this at six, seven, uh, maybe eight dollars and purify this. But still, then you you need uh, to to add some cost on on uh, for purification and investment DNA and and margin for these converters if they do it in hours like some cathode people can do. Uh, okay, it's a bit less. You don't need the margins, but still you have the cost. So, uh, but it it's not going forever, and it, it's it's certainly uh, ending up in earlier than 2025, if. Uh, the market would require a million tons of LCEs. Is Orocobra's reprocessed material being sold into the China spot market? Selling to someone in China, or they sell it for about 2,000 less than battery grade. Is someone just spending 800 or whatever it is, or 1,000 reprocessing it, and then just selling it in the spot market there? I don't know where they are selling. I don't know their customers. Because we are of the of the understanding that that, that that material isn't getting reprocessed and finding its way to South Korea or Japan. Uh, the material is going to South Korea and Japan um, is probably from Gunfeng and yes. uh, from Albemarle and Leibend. Yes, that's our yeah. understanding. Majority, uh, if it's battery and EV and going to LG, Samsung and Nichia and those guys, then it's uh, Albemarle from, from their uh, Jiangxi plants and it's Ganfeng and uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit of uh, Tianxi, but uh, and general lithium for, for carbonate. Is yeah, general lithium not cleared for hydroxide yet? Uh, not that, that I'm aware of. Because he did, he did post something, the guy from, from general lithium, saying that hydroxide is hard, it's difficult. Yeah, it is. So they are now, they are working it's, it's, on it. They are working on it. It's, it's probably they they have a good technical grade quality, but uh, they need uh, probably still to learn the process in making hydroxide this new plant. Spodiumine problem. No? Yeah, the thing is that if you need to employ a flotation to get out micas and things like this then uh, depending on the mineralization and crystallization of, of these minerals or these ores uh, you may have to uh, mill it down to a to a particle very small size, yeah to a particle size which at the end of the day uh, contains a high moisture so this converter if you if, if you do it converting in house you need to dry it, uh, which is difficult, or it's not difficult, it's cost, it's, it's a stepping cost. And if you, do, if you put such a small, fine-grained powder or granulate or whatever, whatever you want to call it, into a, into a rotary kiln, which is uh, running at temperatures of higher than 1100 degrees C, the thing goes out of the chimney, no? and uh, yes. so it's, it's more—it's more of a how do I handle the thing. No? Uh, also, my understanding as well is that you can clean it a bit, but the the, the high salinity in the water in in uh, in Western Australia is a problem. Uh, this so I don't not know. It may be yes. Yeah. Yeah, it I've heard be. that from the process engineers. They said you can clean it, but you can't clean it completely, which is why. They like, you know, like 
uh, Piedmont has got much cleaner water in, in uh, North Carolina. But um, that's something that I've heard as well, is that, uh, you know, you're struggling with the grade and, 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 and putting, uh, you know, putting less decent yeah, low salinity water through the flotation circuit. We have done a little bit of work with kind of direct <coughs> lithium extraction companies and Livent, uh, in particular this E3 metals, but, but yeah. Livent is using ion exchange yes. technology in Argentina. So when I was thinking about it, in Argentina, all you have is is Livent, uh, and then you have Orocobre, right? And now you're building Kachari through Ganfeng and Lack. But in, like just traditional technology, evaporation pond technology, is not working in Orocobre's case, and it's not being used by Livent, but it is what Ganfeng and Lack are putting together. So, um, and uh, they're arguing that Orocobre kind of screwed it up, and uh, they're going to learn from Orocobre, and and that, and that Ganfeng used to process, you know, SQM's brine, so they're not, you know, it's all going to be fine, right? Is is the argument for? Ganfeng and Lack, but um, is there something you know, when I, I read carefully Galaxy's commentary about Sol de Vida and they were saying how difficult it is working in high altitude remote, you know, and they're going super slow with this intermediate product, right, so they're not they're not implementing you know, a full-blown you know, evaporation plan DFS, which was their original plan so you know, what do is traditional evaporation ponds? You know, the way to go um, in Argentina, like in in Chile, or um, do you need some other technologies? Do you think? So uh, the altitude and the weather pattern provides uh, some difficulty, you know. And uh, Livent, uh, former FMC, when they established their technology over there, they choose this iron exchange, which is a basically a direct uh, extraction, if you want. No? They choose this, and they have ponds later. No? So they make the iron exchange and then put the product into the ponds in order to concentrate it. And uh, uh, the thing is, the, the, the reason they did this, that they... FMC, I mean, strategically and business-wise, they screwed it up. No? FMC hasn't had, had never any clue on that. But the technicians, I have high respect because they understood from the very beginning that the um, the technology, because they were, were lithium guys, no? that the technology applied in the Atacama or in, in Nevada and Silver Peak would not work in, in Argentina at 4,000 meters altitude. And that's why they went there. And it took them 10 years to, 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 uh, to get the thing up and running. And, and I think one time they were not giving up, but uh, they, had to, they took a write-off of $200 million years ago in the 90s, no, sometime. And uh, if, if, if the others want to make you believe that they can do the Atacama process in these altitudes, it's bullshit. It's, I, I don't believe this. It can't work. Because what happens in these pond systems is, of course, it needs a good management. It's a purification process. And you will end up, it depends a bit on your brine and brine uh, composition, you will end up uh, with a 
uh, with a concentration of, of, of 1% or something like this. And uh, in order to purify it further, in particular to get rid of the, the boron by solvent extraction, you need 5 to 6% concentration and you have to concentrate it in a plant. So you need a, a heat, uh, you need a, a, a power plant to, 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 to heat up and, and provide the steam and, and uh, energy to, to, to concentrate uh, the brine in order to purify it further. And it remains to be seen how, how LSC will do this, but it's not going to be that easy. They have, Gunfeng has experience with um, processing brine from SQM, but this is already a purified brine. Yes, it's 5 to 6,000 ppm brine. No, 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 it's 6%, uh, it's a 6% brine, but it has been, in SQM is already doing this 18-month uh, purification process in the pond. Yeah, so yes. the pond system, uh, for example, there are some junior miners who say, ah, oh, we don't all need this 18 months, blah, blah, blah. This 18 months is basically a free of charge, in, in, in parentheses, it's, it's, a, it's a free of charge because the uh, sun is, is free of charge, no? It's yes. 365 days a day, a year. So uh, you have a concentration process, which is a chemical purification process because you get out the sodium, part of the sodium chloride, potassium chloride, magnesium sulfate or magnesium chloride and all this type of things huh? and um, and uh, this you, you this you if you don't do it in the ponds you have to do it in a plant and are you are you saying then basically the atacama starts at around you know they're starting thousand ppm they're starting it yes so so, uh, you know, whereas a lot of the Argentinian brands are sort of five, six hundred ppm. Yeah, but this wouldn't matter. So if you have five, six hundred in the Atacama, you still could do it. It wouldn't, it would then not take 18 months, but maybe, I don't know, 24 months or something. No? Uh, it doesn't matter no? for them. Okay. Yeah, because they don't have, in, in Argentina, in the winter time you have precipitation. And you need to harvest brine before. Uh, okay, got it. So you've got to yeah. do it before before the rains come. Yes. So they have a different pattern there, and that's why you need a different technology and, and a different process. You know, the question of asking you how is it possible that these these new junior miner projects are, are suggesting that they can have a lower opex than established players. Yeah, that's. I mean, this. I have always said this. This is uh, blah blah, no? bullshit talk. This is not. And, and you're right because uh, within mm. Lex instance, they've gone from twenty one hundred to thirty two hundred mm. now. They've pushed the reagent case. costs and all the rest. It's now they've upped. Yeah. They, they, the opex is up like I don't know sixty percent or something. In particular, you have to to see how is your brine uh, composition developing. Yeah, uh, your reservoir is it uh, fluctuating? Is it stable? And things like this, which have some impact on on the on the on the uh, volumes you can make, and of course you have the the restrictions in in, in Chile on the pumping rates, um, with some uh, probably some effect if if you have uh, on the monitoring wells around the salar when they have an alarm or the certain levels uh, you you undercut, then you have to reduce your speed. And in Argentina you may have. Uh, I don't know this yet for sure because it's not yet the case. If, if two parties or three parties are operating at the same salar, you have to make sure that you don't uh, infringe or, or impact other, other uh, players' uh, aquifers and, and productions.
those resources that are Brian are, in, are the most complex to bring to market. History is an indicator. Any number of projects that have come into the market that are Brian based today have taken at least 10 years. And there's some that have been at it for more than 10 years and still aren't commercial yet. They may be promising someday, but they're not there yet. And that's because of the inherent complexity involved. As a result, it's harder to bring resources to market fast, unless you've been doing it in an existing resource for a long period of time. So again, existing Chilean and Argentina producers are able to expand pretty rapidly. Some do come into the market ultimately in the rest of the world, but it's harder. And as a result, supply shrinks. Um, it shrinks on a relative basis relative to, 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 to rock as you go out to 2025. Just in general, uh, for, for brands in general, both in Chile and Argentina, with spec sheets tightening from the end users, are, are, are new producers or old producers at, a, at an advantage in terms of meeting those new standards? You know, is it harder for an existing producer to tweak and get up to speed? Is it easier for a new producer to put in uh, you know, additional capex and, and meet the standards more easily? What's your thought on that? I think it's for both a bit of the same. So an old plant is designed, it's a continuous process, and you the plant is running uh, to meet certain specifications. If you tighten the specification, you, it, it requires uh, probably a change in, in the processing and reduces your actual capacity. And uh, when you build a new plant, you can basically design it according to the spec, but it's uh, requiring then uh, because the, the throughput is a little slower, it, it requires more capex or uh, uh, a higher nameplate capacity. If you want, uh, compared to the to or yeah, or to say to to compared to the old technology. So let's take it uh, uh, SQM, the existing plant. If they make the standard product, they have a capacity of I don't know 48. 50,000 tons. If you tighten the spec, in particular for sodium, then you would probably reduce the capacity by I don't know 10, 20, 30 percent, depending or 40 percent, depending on the value the customer requires. So if uh, you want to keep your 50,000 tons, you would have to add uh, capacity. And uh, if you build a new plant. Uh, you have to do this right from the beginning and design it in a respective way, which at the end of the day increases your capex per ton. Just going across to the to the hard rock side, uh, Herod, you now wrote a post about break-even pricing for the non-integrated converters, um, using conservative numbers, and even then it showed like it looks like the marginal cost producers are underwater. In in your mind, you know how much longer can these guys last? How much more pain can they take? That's a difficult question uh, in China because um, histor historically we have seen them as Rockwood or Chemital in the 90s. I remember times um, when prices came up, these guys were invading Europe with uh, technical grade hydroxide. And uh, when prices came down, they went into sleeping mode, and but they never were away. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, it depends on how their financing structures are done and how much do they have to pay for, for interest and how serious the banks are uh, to get uh, or to collect the interest. So uh, if you have government-run uh, 
uh, companies, they have probably uh, more flexibility than a purely private one. Uh, so this is not an easy to answer question. So they will be there. Um, they will stop production maybe um, and, and pick it up again when the market restarts. And in terms of idling production and, and restarting, uh, you know, is that a fairly seamless process? Can they turn it around and get back in business quickly? Uh, you can. You can. You can, but the output is, of course, then lower. And if you don't care, if the price is right and you make a little margin, uh, uh, then uh, it's possible. So the, the, the question is, what is your expectation on a, on a return? And I think this is a big difference in China compared to, to, to U.S. Or, or other country standards. So if you are a listed company in Europe or in, in the U.S. or in, in, uh, Australia, um, uh, I think your shareholders would not, um, not be very uh, happy with, uh, with when, when you would have uh, run a, a 20,000 tons capacity plant at if you restart maybe only 10,000 or 8,000 tons because your, your OPEX goes, goes through the roof and, uh, and your margins go down. So your margins wouldn't be, for example, in a regular process, maybe 30%, 20%, whatever. And in such a case, when you restart, uh, you only have 10% for, for a year or so until the thing runs smooth again. But I mean, uh, as a Chinese, as long as there is a, as a buck coming in on your private account, they don't care, no? That's a bit over, uh, a bit exaggerated, but that's probably a, a different approach to business than, than we are used to. Yes. But could those guys, who, those guys who switch on and switch off, if again, if you're selling into battery hydroxide for LG Chem for EVs, I mean, mm -hmm. is, that, is that tenable for that particular market where the high prices are? Or is that just more, you know, the turn on and off for lower quality kind of domestic That's, use? It's not for EVs. That's not the case. It's certainly not the case. For EV, so a uh, Gunfeng wouldn't do that. So he has a stable, uh, and, uh, and generally think probably the same. And uh, Tianxi and Albemarle over there and Livent uh, also the same. So they they can't afford this. But there is a large market out there. What I mentioned uh, earlier in uh, for 3C, and the standards are not uh, that uh, that strict, and uh, there it's more easy. But it's a part of the market, and uh, of course, it, it reflects into the into the higher purity or higher quality requirement market. In terms of a chemical conversion plant, uh, we know that uh, a couple of guys are looking to send some kind of an intermediate product pro product to uh, to Europe and then repurifying there. Do you do you see that? Um, that the EU is serious enough about securing its own battery supply chain for the future, that they would support some kind of mining or chemical conversion, you know, capacity to be built in Europe. Uh, why not? I think historically we have been discussing uh, even to to ship uh, a and a concentrate from Australia or whatsoever to Europe and convert it in Europe, simply because. Uh, we expected some market here on one hand. On the other hand, you have a chemical industry in Europe. So you have the process engineers, the engineers, the chemists, 
everything here uh, in order to 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 realize it, which you don't have probably in, in a country like Australia. I'm not aware that Australia is a, a good place to make chemistry yeah? uh, or a chemical hub in, in, in that sense in the world. And this is an advantage in Europe. If you have industrial parks where you have space, uh, you have the infrastructure, you have energy, you have steam, you have uh, whatever you need, uh, services, then you can do this certainly uh, easier here. And th there are or there were uh, considerations to do this. So this is a realistic scenario. Makes sense. Do you think, uh, given what you just said, and th look, the market's young, it's dynamic, there was a huge undersupply for a period of time, prices spiked, now we have, just in two short years, a, a very significant pullback, which has been in part demand-driven, uh, reduced demand in China, and, and partially, obviously, supply-driven, and it's not just Australia, there's... Uh, not a lot of people paying attention to or, or, or understand, and I don't understand it so well, these Shanghai brines. Um, Galaxy says there were 30,000 tons, but General Lithium said it was 40,000 tons this year. I mean, that's a big difference in this size of market. I, I'm, I'm wondering, did Albemarle make like a big mistake in, in Wajina? Did West Farmers uh, and SQM make a big mistake in... Kidman, uh, given what you just commented about, the uh, lack of chemical skills in uh, Australia. Howard, to the right. Uh, hi, Howard Klein of RK Equity. Following up on uh, PJ's question, what was the logic of uh, giving mineral resources 40% of uh, Camerton's economics? Right. So the, the logic behind that was the plan was to build out another 100,000 metric tons of capacity. And I, sorry about that. <laughs> You're it's my mother out there. She's a, it's a bad answer. No, um, uh, the, 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 the rationale on that was this. We were already building capacity, and we didn't need to bring any more conversion capacity to the market at that point in time. So the best way to do that was to bring them in as a partner to Kimberton and reduce the overall capital that we were going to be spending in this window of time until we see that inflection of needing more. That was the only thought process about it, is, is to contribute it, give them a piece of that, so that um, that was part of our compensation, if you will, for buying it. So that's how we thought about it. Yeah, if you, if you go back, you know, uh, prior, to, uh, prior to that announcement, our CapEx plan was to spend about $5 billion over the next five years. We've reduced that to $3.5 billion. About a billion of that is as a result of us contributing Kemerton rather than building it out on a standalone basis. And we'll still be able to meet all our customer commitments, and we'll still be able to have the growth that we outlined here in 2024, and we'll still have those resources that we can economically now convert in the future to carbonate or dry side or whatever the derivative is to meet the needs of the market. David? Uh, thank you, Dave Begley, Deutsche Bank. Um, Eric, um, 2020 lithium EBITDA, you gave guidance back on the Q3 call down 20%. Uh, given the continued weakness in lithium pricing, what's the downside risk to that 20% down forecast for 2020 lithium EBITDA? It's a great question. It's too early to say, right? I mean, I think you probably you might be referencing the fact that that prices continue to be weak in the market, and and uh, it was with the anticipation of what we described in this uh, deck that prices would move to that marginal cash cost of seven dollars that we that we've given that guidance. 
it, there's some downward pressure on it. I mean, Dave is the right answer. And we'll update you in February because we'll have been through with some more discussions. We'll update you on what we think. So let me close with our outlook. Our outlook is for 12 to 17% revenue growth. Based on everything I've told you, that shouldn't be too hard to ascertain based upon the growth, that the opportunity we have to grow. It is metered, in our case, re relegated or regulated by the amount of capacity we bring on. So we plan to fill out our capacity. Um, and when you do the math on that, that's a 12 to 17%. Now I need to talk about the margin, 40 to 45% margin. So the most important thing for you all to know is we can get to that level without a price improvement. We've, we've indicated, we haven't given a lot of detail, we've given a company-based detail, that 2020 is a trough for us. From that trough, we can get into that range without any improvement in price over this period of time. It comes from volume, filling out our plants on the plans that I've, uh, capacity plans I've talked about. It comes from cost, the significant cost reduction that we're gonna do through operational excellence, the other things that we'll do that, that Luke talked about from a cost reduction standpoint, and it comes from differentiation. We have segments we sell into that are less price sensitive. We have new innovations that Glenn talked about. In all, we're able to outperform, we believe, through, through this period of time, even in that kind of price environment. So look, if I haven't conveyed my enthusiasm, uh, I look forward to further questions you may have. In lithium ion rocks, lithium ion bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.